from Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 146. Today's show is brought to you by Mac Weldon, Encapsula, and FreshBooks. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by the man behind SixColors.com, Jason Snell. I'm peeking out from behind SixColors.com right now. Hello, Mike. How are you? I am very well, Jason Snell. How are you? Good. Very good. Busy. Been busy. Yep. Lots going on. I've been uh, I've been doing lots of podcasting this last week. What with Apple News and also Leo Laporte went on vacation, and so I've been a uh, I'm going to end up filling in four times for him wow. over the course of eight days. It's a little exhausting. I I spent three hours straight just talking yesterday. It was it's a lot, <laughs> but I'm here. I'm ready. Maybe that's more Jason than people can handle. Who knows? Well, I I. I I take some solace in the fact that that's these are sort of like non-Jason channels. They're not used yeah. to me, so that if somebody is listening to all of those channels and all of my usual channels, Bravo. It's, I apologize for the excess of me, the Snellathon that you're a little too much. The Snell Zone expanded a little too far there. Yeah, but Jason, nobody cares about this. No, we're going to do our hashtag Snell Talk question this week, yes. and it comes from Matthew. And Matthew wants to know: Do you listen to the radio? Well, Matthew, the short version is not really. <laughs> the slightly longer version is um, we have, I listen sometimes in the car, I listen to the radio. Um, we have, I'm not a big fan of the radio in general and I haven't been since I was a teenager because I like to hear the songs that I like. And if I hear a song I don't like, I don't like the fact that I can't skip it. Um, I also don't like chatter, not only the commercials on radio, which I find like really in your face and annoying, but the chatter where um, a DJ will tell you about whatever thing they're interested in, that it's like not why I listen to the radio. I, I Unless I'm listening to a baseball game or something, I'm probably there to listen to the music on the radio. Um, we have satellite radio in our cars, which has a bunch of specialty stations that are actually, a lot of them are pretty good. Um, but even there, they and they don't have commercials, but even there they have DJs who occasionally come on and say, let me tell you this news about where some band is touring. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> turn the channel. Um, that's, I was thinking about this yesterday because I was listening to uh, one of my go-to playlists now on Apple Music, which is the um, A-List for they have these a-list playlists i've talked about them before where uh, some editor at apple music is curating a list of sort of 50 recent songs that are really good in a particular genre and i listen to the alternative a-list playlist a lot and then pull songs out of there for my own playlist of like i really like that song i'm going to put it in my favorites too and uh, i was thinking about how that is the ultimate for me expression of the radio because nobody talks it's just the songs and if i don't like a song I skip it and I go on to the next one. I love it. And and uh, and I can control which ones I listen to and I can yeah. go back because it is in the end it's just the playlist of uh, that somebody selected. There's still a music mind somewhere listening to all these uh, songs and picking ones that they think are good and putting them in rotation just like you would on a radio station playlist. But instead, it's just an iTunes playlist that I can play. And that's uh, pretty great and I've discovered a lot of great music for that. So I, it's it's actually a little bit like I've, I'm back into listening to the radio again in a way where I can discover music that's not just music I've already you know, music I've already listened to and I'm going to listen to again, which I did for a long time, um, or, you know, with, with a little more control over it than something like Pandora. Yeah, so you can find those A-list. You can just search for them, A-list, but they're always, they're always floating around in the Discover yeah. section or whatever it's called in Apple Music. And, and I, they're really good, at least the ones that are in genres that I like. They're yeah. they're really well done. And I was just seeing somebody, I want to say it was Cable Sasser, who was tweeting about how 
it doesn't get promoted in the U.S., but like he's a big um, Japanese pop fan, and there's a J-pop A-list. Yeah, a J-pop and a K-pop, I think he was talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah, right. And not all the songs are available for people in the U.S. market, but um, they, they've got you know genres in the U.S. and elsewhere um, curated this way, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. I still hear things. I listen to the um, alternative station on the Sirius XM radio a lot, and the overlap is fascinating with the A-list, and the yeah, lack of overlap sometimes is is fascinating. Where I'm like, I've never heard this song before. Why? And and sometimes I will actually. Um, I will take note of what the song is and search for it later um, if I hear a song I really like. that. So I do occasionally discover things on the radio, on the satellite radio station that I don't find in the A-list. So it's kind of fun to have a second opinion. But um, but that's one of the ways that I've been really happy with what Apple Music does. I know there are other streaming music services that do this, but that's the one I'm using. So that's the one I'm talking about. Don't don't email me. <laughs> don't don't please don't. If you would like to submit your question for the opening of the show, just tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk, and it will go into a list, and maybe it will be picked in a future episode. And thank you to Matthew for sending in his hashtag SnellTalk question. It's been really hot, Mike. It's been really hot here. No, nope, we can't talk about, about it. That. Nope. Not allowed to. No, nope. I got nope. one of the Pride bands, the nylon bands, the Six Color Band. Did you get it? I'm. I got it. I'm wearing it right now. I love it. I love it so much. It's a great. It's a. It just looks great, right? I, I've been it, wearing it the beautiful. whole time. It's vibrant, and uh, this yep. is the first nylon band I've worn. And I don't love the nylon band. Um, I, I think, given my druthers, I, I prefer the sport bands. But um, this one is is uh, fun and beautiful. Uh, in, in the chat room last week, we were it, it came up, and I didn't say it in the show, and so I wanted to do a correction. I I I made it. I overly linked the Apple Rainbow uh, logo to the to the Pride band, which is not appropriate. So the the uh, the color is not my strong point. Um, Apple's rainbow in their six colors uh-huh. starts with green, and and goes to blue, which is not how rainbows really how work. Rainbows but go, that's no. the that's the Apple rainbow. The Pride rainbow is more like the actual rainbow. It goes in, in order from red out to out to purple. Um, and the the shades are a little bit different, which again I'm very bad at. Um, so just to be clear, the Pride Band is a Pride Band. I I enjoy the fact that a six color rainbow is evocative, is resonant in terms of Apple's corporate history. While uh, I like that combination, it's like it, it is Apple history plus Apple supporting Pride. I love how those go together, and mm-hmm. it's it's really fun. And as somebody who has staked a portion of their professional life on the concept of a six color rainbow. Um, I enjoy the fact that I get to wear not only something that is supportive of pride, but also a six color rainbow because I am in favor of all the six color rainbows. So anyway, just to be clear about that, it's not an Apple rainbow band. It is a pride band and it's beautiful. It is. I love it so much. And as you said, right, like I get to wear my new favorite band, which looks awesome. And I also get to support something that I support. So I love that. And I'm yep. really happy with it. And it's it's awesome. Uh, it's funny. I showed it to Adina and she's like, I'm not sure how that will look, right? Like a rainbow band. And I bought it and I put it on. She's like, oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> it really like it, the, the pictures don't do it justice. Like the vibrancy of the colors, like it really is fantastic. Yeah, that, and, that, and that's it. it, it they're super super vibrant that's that's the thing that really struck me about it is these are not muted colors in fact my understanding somebody was telling me that these are uh actually much more vibrant than the colors that were in the pride bands that apple uh gave to its employees that 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 we talked about last year it's it may be that in wider production they were able to um brighten it up even more yeah 
So uh, we spoke a bit last week about podcast analytics, and we got a lot of follow-up, like a, well, a lot of feedback, I mean, which we asked for, right? We asked for people to tell us, do you like us to talk about this? We did. We got some people that said that they didn't enjoy it, like, good, I'm pleased to know that, right? Like, I'm pleased to know if you don't, right. but honestly, we got inundated with people telling us that they enjoy it. Now, again, like, I know this is slightly self-selecting, right, that I think people that enjoy it are more likely to tell you that, but basically, I just want you to say to all of the people that did enjoy our discussion last week, we hear you and we are going to come back to this discussion i think as it progresses everything we spoke about last week that stands i don't have anything that i feel like i need to add to it um i was pretty happy with how the conversation came out uh there is an episode of exponent uh, which is ben thompson's show which goes into this in some more detail as well and they they, they, so i encourage people that are interested to maybe go and listen to that too and i'll put a link in the show notes and for the message for the people who didn't like it um i think i which were that we heard from fewer of them than from other sources i think you know we hear you too i think we've always tried to be erring on the side of of uh, not going too far down that that path. And I, this is not going to turn into a show about podcast industry no. m- mechanics, right? But from time to time, I think we will talk about it because it's of interest to us and it is an emerging um, digital media form and Apple is a major play in, player in it. And I think for all of these reasons, uh, it's worth us talking about it. But we're also going to try to be... Um, cognizant of the fact that that's not the core focus of what we do and when we do talk about it we'll probably talk about it later in the show and not that often because again that's not the primary focus of this show yeah so we'll we'll come back to this discussion as more news or information emerges about uh, apple's podcast analytics because right now there isn't anything more than we found out two weeks ago no in in fact, the new tags, I actually built a bunch of the new iTunes tags into the Incomparables RSS feeds, and um, the iOS 11 beta uh, version, the, the, the um, developer beta, um, the version of the podcast app on there, totally doesn't support them yet. So even though they announced them, the build that actually supports those tags is not running externally. Yeah. I don't think anybody's supporting right. them yet. I think people are, are working on that. Sure, sure. So my feed, my feed is there, and I'm looking forward to a first release of the podcast app that actually uh, supports it because that'll be interesting to see sort of like how it works, and um, and I'm looking forward to that and giving feedback to Apple where appropriate. There are some things. Uh, O'Shane, who does uh, Castro, wrote a blog post where he was sort of like, I have some questions about this. Like he's very gr- happy about it, and I think um, most podcast. app developers are because this is how you move the the whole industry is to have apple say new tags and then everybody builds them in and and then so shane can do that with uh with uh with castro but when you move through it logically there are a bunch of like how does this get implemented and how does this work And i suspect in the end what we're going to find is apple does have some specific ideas about it and we're going to see how it's put into practice in the podcast app and that will um that will make it you know that that will solve a lot of these questions but i i had a bunch of questions too about the details of it so it's it's summer beta season this stuff gets worked out this time of year jason do you think that at some point in the future you may be getting your peanut butter manchego via amazon prime why this mike this doesn't go far enough why didn't you ask if i'll receive it via an amazon drone (laughs) that's a good point maybe even by drone because uh in a very surprising turn of events Amazon have acquired Whole Foods. Yeah, apparently so. Did not see this one coming. No. $13.7 billion it took to secure Whole Foods. This is very interesting. I think it's just another case of, of Jeff 
Bezos deciding he wants to own everything he can. And uh, I'm I'm very intrigued to see what this could do, uh, not only to the US, but also in the UK, where Whole Foods has a small presence. It's, I think there's four uh, Whole Foods stores in the UK. And I'm probably never going to do my grocery shopping from Whole Foods, but there are specialty items that we will sometimes pick up from one if we're ever around because they do some great stuff, right? Like, if we wanted to eat a pumpkin pie, Whole Foods is a great place to get one of those in the UK because it tastes real good. It tastes like what I've Ah. tasted from America. So they do a lot of, like, specialty stuff, but their food typically is a little bit higher priced, especially here, especially here. Um, oh no, it's 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 expensive. It's an expensive market. As the, yeah. as a person who has the closest market, the one within walking distance is a Whole Foods. It's expensive to be. It's convenient to have that market there. Boy, is it expensive. So, and some of the yeah. stuff is not. Some of the stuff is very good, and some of the stuff is of mediocre quality. And that's the that's the the thing about Whole Foods is that it's not like oh, it's all so good. It's like well, some of it is good, and some of it is overpriced and fine. But this is an interesting deal. For Amazon, um, the I mean, look, it's all been analyzed. There, there's so much conventional wisdom here, uh, uh, but but I I think it does make sense to say Amazon's been experimenting with retail. They've got experimental bookstores that they've got that experimental. I drove past it with Glenn Fleischman when I was visiting him in Seattle. The that experimental checkoutless Amazon store where you just go in and. It knows who you are, and you take things off the shelves and leave, and it charges you, which is so totally wacky. So I think Amazon, uh, on one level, Amazon's experimenting with retail as a place to to um and and these these physical extensions inside. Uh, just how does the how do those work? Because Amazon doesn't have as much knowledge of that. I think also this is a. Um, this is about locations that Amazon has by buying Whole Foods. Amazon gets these locations that are in the the wealthiest parts of the U.S. That these are the the really the places where Whole Foods is are extremely good demographically in terms of the income of the people who live there. That's sort of where Whole Foods has gone, and so it gives Amazon a physical presence that they didn't have before. Is that for doing their deliveries? You know, it remains to be seen. I, I also would say, because Jeff Bezos is you know crazy like a like a fox, um, that sometimes I think may, maybe an acquisition like this happens, and I know it's easy to say like talking about fourteen billion dollars. It's kind of insane to suggest that this is um, this is a uh, just a lark. But um, I think one of the brilliant things about uh, about somebody like Jeff Bezos is some intuition about like this seems like a good idea and we'll find out what exactly how as we go like maybe the physical presence in the markets will be helpful maybe learning about retail will be helpful maybe this becomes a a way that uh, you get faster deliveries into all of these neighborhoods and drone deliveries and all that kind of stuff that they do but um Maybe it'll be something else. Maybe and maybe they'll find out that it's a good business to have around, and there are some synergies. But they're not going to completely swamp it. That that uh, it's more valuable for them to own it and not have someone else own it and have a presence in those markets. It could be as simple as the physical presence of being able to have a place where you can stock items and that you can have drivers come from and and stuff like that. So it's a it's a kind of a wacky kind of play, but 
uh, Jeff Bezos does that. He's also building, you yep. know, rockets. Rockets. So, and drones for people. And he bought a newspaper in 2017. So, you know. What the Washington Post got to do was have uh, some freedom to explore what a newspaper would look like in the 21st century instead of trying to stay alive. Mm-hmm. And and that's interesting, right? It's not necessarily directly related to Amazon's business. And Amazon, I think that's Jeff Bezos owns that. Amazon doesn't own that. But it's that idea, too. This is an Amazon purchase. But, um, but there's that, too. It may be more about how can the Amazon approach inside Whole Foods try to define like what retail supermarkets are for in the modern era with some freedom to do that because they got Amazon's backing. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm not like I, I, I saw somebody's analysis who said, well, you know, this wraps it up. The future of grocery stores is that people will just bring a box full of groceries to your door. It's like, you know, I can see that for some stuff, but like I'm an Amazon I, Prime mm, member, I don't have no. I don't have toilet paper and and uh, cans of beans shipped to me via subscription from Amazon or something like that. I, we don't I don't do that, and for yeah, I, and so I'm I'm skeptical of that. I think that some stuff could be simplified and automated, but you know I think I, I think Amazon's explorations in retail suggest that even Amazon understands that there's a limit yes. to what you can Amazonify. Mm-hmm. I don't even think Amazon believe that, right? Because otherwise, they never would have started building their own retail stores. They, I mean, they've exactly. just started building their own bookstores. You think that, like, of everyone in the world, Amazon <laughs> would know that there's no point for bookstores, but turns out they think there might be a point. Right, and, and I think the argument is, what would a bookstore look like? This is like the Washington Post argument. What would a bookstore look like if, if it was designed in a world where Amazon dominates, mm-hmm. rather than being an old bookstore trying to fight off Amazon in a world where Amazon dominates? And those are different. Right, like a, a bookstore that accepts that we live in an Amazonified world, but that there's still a place for a bookstore. And who could, who can do that? Well, one one company that can do that is Amazon. So they're trying it out and they're experimenting with it. I think I think there's something to be said for that. When you dig into the location thing, which I think is a really great argument that you posed about, like you know, if if they wanted to do this, Whole Foods is the best company to buy because they get access to all this fantastic prime real estate right like if, if amazon decided that they just wanted to open their own stores it would be way harder for them to find this real estate yeah. in these locations than it would have been to just buy whole foods and the, the reason that i think that is interesting is when you look at where a lot of whole foods stores are are in big metropolitan cities right in and around those areas yep and it makes me think of me here in london i don't have a car so I can't do grocery shopping like people that who have that have cars can. So we get all of our grocery shopping delivered by a company called Ocado and they are just all they are is an online grocery delivery service and they get food from our favorite supermarket which is Waitrose and they get brand stuff and we just order it all online and they bring it all. And that's where Amazon could could do this, right? Certainly. Like in, in those cities where people can't drive to the grocery store. In big cities where transit is is dominant, that's definitely um, an interesting wrinkle. I have friends who live in in uh, New York City who it's the same thing. They don't have a car, and the way so many, I mean, some places do it where you, um, where there are lots of different ways to do it. You can do it online, and they'll get your stuff and they'll bring it. There are also places in New York, which I find fascinating, where you go shopping, 
And at the end, you check out, and then you give your cart to them. Mm -hmm. And then they will come in a delivery window later that day and bring you your groceries. That was my first job after school, was being the, the helper boy. Uh, for the delivery driver who would take home people's groceries. <laughs> right, right. And the, the advantages, like I had this with my local grocery store where if you use one of those affinity cards, they know um, they know what brands you buy, which yep. actually means that you can very quickly generate a menu on a website that is, here are all the products you buy, check the boxes for the ones you want. I mean, you can do that. And there is some intelligence there. Oh, it seems like you buy this every every three weeks, every four weeks. And one of the things Amazon would like, and my local grocery store would like, is only shop with us. Because that gives them the ability to raise prices and uh, you still buy them. It's like the Amazon Dash buttons are like this, where there's limited number of products. Like I just bought, I have a Dash button. And I, it's for uh, laundry detergent. Mm-hmm. And they only have certain kinds that are available via the the dash button, but it includes one that is one that I want. And I enjoy I, every month or two. I enjoy pressing that button. It's very exciting. My wife said that she and my daughter were up at Costco and they were they were looking at laundry detergent and they were going to buy some new laundry detergent. And they said, "No, we're not going to do it." My my wife said because your father really likes pressing that button. <laughs> and and she told me the story, and I said. Yeah, I do. It's true. In fact, I, yeah. I I pushed it earlier today and it was really awesome because you push this button in your house and then you walk away and you get an email from Amazon like a few hours later that says, we're sending you your laundry detergent. But but what's the price on it? Like when I press the button, I don't know. And, and, and I'm in that I'm, I'm in their world now. They can raise the price. They can drive me toward their very particular product that they want me to buy, which is what they have done with the dash button. Mm-hmm. And there are great advantages to that realistically, you know, as a consumer, we shop at Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and Costco and Safeway. And so I get that they all want me in their universe 100% of the time. I, I, It's a little bit like computer industry lock-in, right? It's the same idea. It's like they, Amazon wants you or or Safeway or Whole Foods. They want you in your their ecosystem because sure, why would you not want to consume all of a consumer's money? I get it. But I don't know how realistic that is. So it's messy. There's a lot There's a lot going on here. But um, it's hard not to think that brick-and-mortar retail is not going to continue to transform because of the existence of the internet. And yeah, if we have self-driving delivery trucks and robots that'll roll the box up to your front door or whatever, like you can, you can extrapolate out that this is going to be a very different kind of scenario. That said, I think there's still a great deal of value in walking into a store and talking to the butcher or, or squeezing, a, uh, a squeezing a, an avocado to see if it's ripe, that kind of thing. The robots will squeeze squeeze our avocados for us in the future, though. The Amazon drone will will squeeze all the avocados and choose the and right one. And there'll be for a you. VR headset that will allow you to take a look at the food. Oh yeah, right. you got to have the the uh, fruit squeezer glove uh-huh. though yeah. to get the f- proper tactile response to say if it's a good melon or oh, not. Jason, you know that's not this is not a completely out of possible. I know. Scenario. I know. We'll be we'll be dead and gone. I'll be dead and gone by the time that's a ha- you'll be just a cranky old man being like in my day we didn't have virtual melon tapping and uh, you know that'll be fine. Apple have hired James Erlicht and Zach Van Amberg to run video programming at Apple. This report comes from Recode. They both come from Sony. Jamie and Zach, where they were top TV executives. These two were responsible yes. for helping shows like Breaking Bad, Shark Tank, The Shield, and The Blacklist happen. 
and they will be reporting to Eddie Q. Yeah, it's big news. These They were the co-presidents of Sony Pictures Television. And I asked my uh, my friend Joe in the chat room, uh, I asked him, is this, the, is this the well-run part of Sony or the badly run part of Sony? And he said, no, this is the well-run part of Sony, uh, which is they, they have been a very successful studio. One of the problems with Sony uh, Pictures Television is that you know Sony doesn't really own an outlet. They don't own a TV network. And uh, these days, generally, the most common thing that happens is you own... Um, what you show if you're a network. So yeah. if you're Fox, Fox makes the shows, the studio makes the shows, and then the Fox channels air the shows. And it's a much easier business if you've got that vertical integration than if you are Sony trying to hold on to a show that's an NBC. And NBC is looking at the shows and there's like, well, this show we make and this show Sony makes. So we're going to keep the show that we make. It's a it's a challenge. Um, Joe in the chat room points out Sony does own Crackle. So, well, yeah. Anyway, Crackle's biggest show is is leaving Crackle. So. It's leaving for Netflix. Yeah. yeah, that's that's true. The Jerry Seinfeld show. So it's a big deal, though, because these are well-respected TV executives. And uh, what it does, like, number one is I feel like this stops all speculation about, well, maybe Apple is not going to jump in all the way into making original video and having a video outlet. They'll still tinker around the edges with Apple Music, but we don't really know if they're going to go into TV in a in a big way. Um, we know now. We know now. Like, put, oh, a, yeah? put, a, uh, put, a, put a pin in it. Okay. Um, you don't hire the co-presidents of Sony Pictures Television to sit around and tinker around the edges with some shows on Apple Music. You hire those guys to build you a competitor to Netflix. That's what you do. That's I, I to make original programming for Apple's outlets that they're going to create probably. Um yeah, that I think I feel like the jig is up. This is this is it. Mm. Um Apple's all the way in on video now. More than just what we see on Apple Music is what you're saying. You think that this is precursor to Apple television. I think, so we talked about this on the, it was a weird turning of the tables episode of my podcast TV Talk Machine that I do with Tim Goodman, who's the chief TV critic at The Hollywood Reporter. He had lots of questions for me last week about about this, but I think we both agree that um, this is th- this is a precursor to Apple getting in the in the content game that like this fall when when these guys start they they start at the end of August um the they're going to make deals with creators and they're going to produce shows and those shows are going to air somewhere and almost certainly it's going to be on an Apple something whether it's rolled into Apple Music or I think more likely an Apple TV service another service that you can subscribe to from apple that's going to have original content and everybody can roll their eyes now and say but i already pay for hulu and netflix and amazon prime why would i pay for apple music or apple video apple tv uh service and my answer is because they're going to sign some like famous creators and famous properties and adapt famous books and things and and create a new hbo if you signed up for netflix and amazon they'll use the same reason to get you to sign up for this, right? They're creating TV shows that you might want to see. That's, that's yeah, the what plan. What if the next Game of Thrones, the next Westworld, the next Breaking Bad, what if, yep. what, what, if, what if something like that is on the Apple platform? That's how they get you to subscribe. And uh, I think that's where they're going. Like, I, I, ca- I cannot understand how else 
the this higher makes sense. I'm also really excited about it in the sense that my confidence in these two gentlemen to understand how television works much higher than my confidence in Eddie Q, right? Eddie Q, I always was like, yeah, Eddie Q's there, but this isn't his world and you know, who so who's going to do this? And it's a little bit like they have they have music people who do Apple Music. It's not Eddie Q. There are music people. Yeah. Um these are TV people and they're development executives and guess what? This is what they're this is what they're going to do. The highly highly thought of in contract negotiations with their existing employer and then they jump and what Tim said last week on TV Talk Machine is he 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 suspects at least that one of the reasons here is that lack of an outlet the fact that this deal is going to give these guys the ability to put their shows on their outlet uh, which will be this new Apple video service and right. so yeah I would expect that they're going to they may license some catalog stuff like you know because in the early days the last thing you want to do is say hey new Apple TV service um, pay us $10 a month for one show or three shows, right? They're going to need to find some non-exclusive catalog stuff, old TV shows that they put in the library that you can watch. Um, it, it, in terms of the transition, it'll probably be a little bit like what Amazon did where they started with an a la carte TV service, which is you know which they've had for a while now for digital. And then they kind of overlaid their free, free for Prime members stuff on top of it. Mm-hmm. And in, in reality, what was happening is there's two different things there. There's a streaming service and there's an all cart service, but they kind of put it together. I, w- I don't know whether Apple will do that. They, Apple sort of did that with music, where there's sort of the Apple Music and the iTunes store. My guess is it's going to be a little bit like that, where there's going to be TV shows on iTunes that you can buy. And then there's going to be TV shows that you get uh, with your with your uh, your subscription to Apple service. So it's going to take them time. I don't think we were doing the math. Like it takes a long time for shows to uh, be made. So like they're starting to, to do production on The Expanse, which is a show that I like, and I follow their production office Twitter account. They're, they're starting to do production on that show that will debut in like January of next year. Right, so it's six months to make a uh, a thirteen episode cable series, and that's after they've already started the writing, and they and, and in the, that case they've got an existing cast, so they don't have to do a lot of casting. So you back it up from there, and then you have you gotta you've gotta write the the show and get the green light for it, and then before that you've gotta sign make the deal with the people who are gonna make the show. It's a long process, so I would imagine that there'll be some really big announcements this fall about deals being signed with creators, maybe even from script to series, like no pilots, just we like your idea. We like your script. Um, go make it. Here's, here's money. Go make yeah. 10 episodes or eight episodes yeah. or whatever. Even so, I doubt we'd see anything before fall of 2018. You know what you were saying about how it might be enticing to them to go to somewhere where it's an outlet, right? Where they can actually have their shows on this company service. It might be even more enticing when that company has basically infinite money for you to get to get it right. You know, like I, yeah. you know, Apple are going to probably be able to throw more money at this than Sony could or like anybody else oh, because sure. they will, if they want to do this, they want to get it right. And the way that you get it right is to have all the money and they have all the money that they can spend. Right. Like Amazon and Netflix will both spend several billion, billion dollars on content 
this year. Like, f- I think it's sure. six billion for Am- for Netflix and four billion for Amazon or something like that. It's bi- in that range, though, of many billions. But they've already got the money coming in, right? Like, so they're doing it now to spending billions, and the money's coming in, right? But but this is how it starts, right? Is you start by spending money on creating content, and you have to you kind of have to bootstrap it. I think ultimately Apple doesn't necessarily want to be Netflix. I think maybe they want to be HBO. I think they want to have ultimately they want to have a stable of really good original programming that people want to subscribe to and maybe they'll yeah. commission some movies and they'll go to Sundance and buy some feature films and put them on there and they'll they'll make some make some film deals like Netflix is making some film deals and create a service but given Apple's brand I think it's more likely that they want to see themselves as a premium, high-quality content brand where really good stuff that people like, not stuff that's high-quality but nobody watches. They want crowd-pleasing stuff, too, but of a perceived high-quality. So I think less likely that they'll do uh, what we said on, on TV Talk Machine was Fuller House, which Netflix is doing. I think they, you know, Netflix wants to be more like for everyone, and I, mm-hmm. I, I imagine Apple doesn't want to do that. I think Apple would much rather be seen as a prestige, high-quality, quality thing like and, and and like hbo which is successful at that so something like that i think is what apple probably wants to do apple already have a television show out right now called planet of the apps which we've not spent any time talking about on this show that's true but i will provide some follow-out to connected where on last week's show we reviewed it so if you want to go and find out uh mine and steven's thoughts on planet of the apps all right you can go there i gotta be honest i watched the first like four minutes of episode two, which was the father and daughter coming down the escalator and explaining their app that shows things on your backpack of your your kid's backpack. Um, and I, I just couldn't I just couldn't go on. One of these days, I'm going to have to force myself to watch a whole episode of you it. Should. But that genre, yeah. that genre does not work for me. Mm, I'm not okay. a. I, I stopped watching reality TV basically a long time ago. Um, and the stuff that I did watch was not stuff like this. I've seen one episode of Shark Tank. Um, it does not appeal to me. It pe- appeals to other people. I suppose I will have to force myself to watch an episode at some point. But um, it's fine. You know, The Incomparable's got a whole show about reality TV that Monty Ashley and uh, Ryas Hall do called The Villain Edit. Little plug for that. They love that reality TV. I think it's I think it's great. You know, it's just not for me. I, I prioritized in my life what TV I wanted to watch and reality TV fell out of it. So... I'm I'm looking forward to listening to your connected review of it. Maybe then I won't have to watch it. Yeah, listen to that, and then once you I'll hear just take what your we opinions. Say, yeah, yeah, you can take my mm-hmm. opinions. Oh, but once you hear what we say, you you will make your mind up on whether this is a show for you or not. I think today's show is brought to you by Encapsula. Encapsula is a multifunction content delivery network that not only boosts the performance of your website, but also protects it from denial of service attacks, securing your site from bad guys whilst ensuring high availability. Look, websites can be attacked. It doesn't matter how big they are, and this happens all the time. Criminals will use giant botnets that will scrape the content of your website. They will try to break into the databases behind everything and bring them down with denial-of-service attacks. Encapsula's network holds 3 terabits per second of on-demand scrubbing capacity. What this means is that Encapsula can process 30 billion attacks per second, and because of this incredible power, if something bad is happening to your site, visitors won't even know, because they have a powerful CDN as well, which will ensure that your content is delivered to your customers lightning fast. You can see any attacks as they happen on Encapsula's dashboard, so you can adjust your security policies on the fly if you need to. All of this stuff, 
All of this incredible infrastructure is why Encapsula's network has successfully defended some of the largest website attacks on record. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. Just go to Encapsula.com slash upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash upgrade. You'll find out more here about their service and claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, new iPads. We both have both new iPads, so the 10.5-inch and the 12.9. And yes. uh, I want to break them down kind of section by section and talk about them. And I think the thing that is worth talking about when you're thinking of both of these iPads, not just the 10.5, which is arguably the newer because it features a revised form factor, but what they both share a lot in common but I think the thing that they both share in common, which is strikingly different, is the display technology. And the thing that is new for both is the, this ProMotion technology that Apple has been talking about. But the thing that was really worth focusing on is the 120 hertz display. Now, it, this is one of those things that I think is very difficult to explain because it's something you have to see. With Retina... It was easy to explain because it was everything is crisper, right? Like, just imagine everything being crisper or it looks like a sheet of paper, that kind of thing. Like, these are things you can explain. The problem with the 120 hertz is it's, I think it's more tricky to explain it because what it looks like is something that's not real. And that's harder to explain because there's, I don't really know if there's anything you can compare it to in real life. Because nothing is like that in real life. There aren't real life apps that fly around, right? Like this isn't <laughs> a thing that you can say, oh, it's just like the app window that we have outside of our homes. Like the, the thing that mm. is closest to me that I think is, you know, when you see a TV ad or Apple do this in their ads, when you're watching somebody use a device, but they're not actually using it, right? They're pretending to use it. And there is a computer animation going on, which is green screened into the device. That's what it looks like. So if you've ever seen a, an app on a, or an iOS device or any type of device on a TV, on, a, on an ad, and you're like, that looks too smooth. It looks weird. It doesn't yeah. look right. That is what the 120 hertz display looks like. It is not right. This is actually the same way that I, I described um, Retina to people, is there used to be lots of TV ads. Google did this, where um, they had ads where... Uh, they would they would show you what was going on in a Google search or whatever music's playing. They do a whole ad, and you notice that everything is perfect type, like perfectly smooth, no dots. And you realize, oh, this is what the internet would look like. This is what a computer would look like if it actually had like a print resolution screen, which nobody had at the time. And you could tell like this is fake, but uh, br- but beautiful, but fake because nobody actually has a screen like this. And then the Retina screen came out, and you're like, oh yeah, look. It's that thing from the TV. It's a little bit like that. It's, it's, um, yeah, I, I, I am not one of the, I was listening to ATP last week and Marco was saying about how it's, uh, incredible. It's incredible. Um, and he's right. It's really good. I would back off a little bit and say, I don't think it's as impressive as Retina is in terms of being an upgrade. Um, I don't think. I necessarily believe that if you use a screen like this and you go back to another screen that you're ruined necessarily. Um, But I would say that the people who tell you that it's not a big deal and that uh, if you weren't looking for it, you wouldn't notice it are wrong. (laughs) That it's 
it's noticeable. The first moment I picked up one of these devices at the Apple event uh, at WWDC, um, I immediately thought, oh my God, what is going on here? And I wasn't even thinking about promotion in general, um, just how smooth everything was. And that, that was the gut feeling was, look how smooth everything is. Look how smooth scrolling is, bringing up multitasking. All of it just feels smooth. And I think that's the power of this is it's not... Um, like the P3 color gamut stuff and the and the brighter colors, you you get that feeling of like, whoa, look at the bright color. And I had a moment like that this week too, by the way, where um, I was looking at somebody's uh, Instagram stream and there was a picture and I was and I thought to myself, not thinking about the color gamut or anything or the fact that I was on a new iPad, I saw it and I thought, I thought, oh, these colors are really bright. Oh, you know, this is that this is the screen that's doing that, but. Um, this feels like this is just a thing that's kind of holistic that with the retina screen and the 120 hertz what you get is the whole experience just feels smooth and that is a little bit intangible i realize but whether you're scrolling or kicking off an animation um you can feel it and it's quite it's very it's just pleasant it's a really nice feeling there is a spectrum of of where people fall on to how close so if you take true tone and retina as your points so how much of a difference true tone makes and how much of a difference retina makes that is kind of like the spectrum here like true tone is really nice but it doesn't break you like it's just really nice to have that on a on a screen and it's a really lovely enhancement but it doesn't make other screens worthless retina does right like it breaks you you have a retina to screen you don't want any screen that's not retina and there is a spectrum where people fall on, on where 120 hertz is. And I am more towards the retina end than the true tone end. Um, I, I don't know if I'm as far as, as Marco is because he's like every other screen I don't want anymore. But I'm very close. That like if yeah. if the next iPhone doesn't have this, I'm going to be really disappointed. And if this doesn't come <laughs> to should. every computer like, like, like retina did, if this doesn't come to everything Apple makes, I would be very disappointed because I absolutely love this and when i use my iphone now i'm like what is going on this is so janky <laughs> so so this is this is what i would say is i feel like i feel like this feature gets rolled up into our perception of the speed of the product that um and and the smoothness of the product so what i don't when i go back to an older ipad what i don't feel is ugh look at that slow frame rate look at that choppy animation mm-hmm. no it just feels slower. Everything feels slower. Yeah, even on iOS 10 on these new iPads, yeah. everything feels incredibly new. Even if you, it isn't actually any slower. Like literally, you know, you move your finger and you go from point A to point B, and it's the same on both devices. That's not it. It, it, it isn't actually slower. It feels slower. Why does it feel slower? Because it's juddering through those that lower frame rate as it does the animation of your swipe and the juddering effect in your brain feels like oh it's uh it's struggling it's struggling to keep up because we've seen lots of devices when they're slow when they're struggling they drop frames basically right and so our brains i feel like as computer users especially technology users have been calibrated to be like oh it's struggling it's it's not the the illusion is breaking here and once you've seen this new illusion (laughs) the old illusion is more obvious that it's there so so i would not i mean I, i i'm trying to put this 
specifically that like i don't think this is one of those things that people are going to single out and be like oh the frame rate i think it's more like it works holistically it's part of this you know you've got powerful hardware it's drawing the screen fast the animations are smooth everything kind of works together to just make it feel smooth and on the older hardware it doesn't feel as smooth and therefore it feels less nice and less uh, less fast, even though it's not about the actual speed of getting from point A to point B. It's about it's about the journey, Mike. It's about the journey from point A to point B and how smooth it is. The overall display of the 12.9 now is just... It's the best screen I've ever used. It ha- Because now the 12.9 gets True Tone and the oh, yeah. P3 Wide Color, along with the 120 Hertz stuff, the ProMotion. Yep. And, like, it is just this glorious screen because it's the biggest, right? It's this 12, it's huge screen when, when compared to where you're using it, right? Because you use it, like, right in front of your face. So it is mm-hmm. this massive screen with these beautiful colors. Like, I remember saying when I, when I got the smaller, when I got the 9.7-inch iPad Pro a year ago, looking at my home screen was glorious because the colors of the app icons, like, they never looked like that before. Like, that was honestly one of the places I noticed it the most was looking at my home screen because it's a screen that I see so often, but it looked different again because it was more vibrant than before. And I feel the same when looking at my 12.9-inch iPad. I'm like, oh, wow, because that's the iPad that I use the most. And so I get the joy whenever I was using the smaller iPad when I would travel. But the 12.9 now, I get to see it every day, and it's just, it's fantastic. Like, this screen with True Tone and the 120 hour stuff and the white color stuff, and, like, oh, I love it, Jason. It Both screens are brighter now as well, so you can see yep. them better outside. These displays on both of these iPads, I mean, it's no joke that Apple say these are the best they ever make. And usually, you I don't know if I can tell that, right? Like, like this is the best we ever made. I'm like, okay, right? Like, it looks really nice but these i can hold them and i'm like yeah they're right because i've never seen computer displays like this before the uh you mentioned the brighter screen there's also on the 12 inch i i I should mention i wrote a piece 12.9 inch ipad pro um since i use it all the time and nobody seemed to write this article because all the reviews were about the 10.5 inch understandably because it's the newer size plus it was what apple was giving out yeah, although that's not... I asked for a 12.9 and a review unit, and that's what I got. For embargo, I believe all they were doing was giving out the small one. Maybe. Um, I, I don't. I, I can't say that for sure. Um, maybe that's true. I, I would assume that everybody who was giving an embargo would want the 10.5 because it's a more mainstream product than the 12.9, and it's the new one in terms of the size. So why would you not want that one? I asked for one that one, too. And then I changed my mind when I saw all the reviews were of the 10.5. I was like, let's let's go the other way. So I wrote this story about the 12.9. I will write more about this um, in the weeks to come. But uh, my first story out of the gate about this was what's different with the 12.9? Because there, there are a bunch of differences. Um, and the brightness and, and the uh, uh, anti-glare on the 12.9 are, are way up from the old 12.9. Because remember, the, sort of the 12.9 first edition came out and then the the 9.7 ipad pro came out and it was better and brighter and more had the anti-glare stuff on it and the true tone and the p3 color gamut right so for this is a a, like a double step for the 12.9 display and yeah can you work on it in sunlight uh outside because it's so much brighter and because it's got the anti-glare coating i 
I say you can, which is a big step because it used to be that you really couldn't. Like I cranked up the brightness all the way and I was in a text editor and I could read it and I could write on it in direct sunlight. I will say all your fingerprints light up when, you, when you're in direct sunlight. So bring a, bring a rag to wipe down your iPad screen because when you're in direct sunlight, your fingerprint, your finger oil is everywhere. But you can do it because that display is so much brighter than it used to be. So part of the reason that this thing feels so smooth is probably also because of the A10X, which is an incredibly powerful new processor. It has three cores, 33% faster in single core, 89% faster in multi-core than the chip it was replacing, which I think was the A9X. Um, the real world benefit of this, it doesn't necessarily come now, like some of these benefits come later, um, but there will be applications that you use that will be able to do things quicker. Yeah, there are some, um, there are not a lot of them right now, but there are some, um, like Affinity Photo, which just got released and Apple demoed on stage, is like Photoshop, basically, and they've got a bunch of things that they're doing that there's some stuff they can do real time, and there are things that if you've got a filter that you want to do that, you know, like any other computer, it will do it faster. But I feel like, yeah, for most use, what this, what this increased speed uh, is really providing is more... I tried to I struggled to describe this in the article. If you imagine like uh, there's the base level of performance that people on an iPad Pro have today, right? And it's it's plenty. It's plenty. So what's happening is behind there, imagine sort of like behind what you're doing now, there's some room. So if you push it a little bit more, there's room because you're not taxing that system. I feel like what this new model does is expand the room that's behind a lot of the current performance stuff. Um, and that, that, that's the best way I can come to describe it because really it's not going to make as big a difference until you've got software that's really pushing it. And most iPad software doesn't really push it in that way, but we're seeing more of it all the time. I was exporting audio from, um, Ferrite on the iPad with a plugin, which, uh, I, which I bought and put in a compressor plugin. And I thought to myself, this is one of those examples of where uh, the faster iPad is going to do this maybe twice as fast or almost as my older 12.9 inch. And that's just, look, oh, look, I hit a processor constraint. It doesn't happen all the time on the iPad like it does on the Mac, but it's going to increasingly. And so this, um, it's a big jump. In regards to new hardware, kind of new hardware design, obviously the 12.9 is unchanged. It's it's exactly the same, right? I, I don't think there's any change at all except for the antenna bands. No, um, the microphones are in a different place and the camera is slightly bigger, although the back shell that I've got still fits it. And there's a flash which didn't exist on the 12.9 before. So those are the hardware differences really is that the antenna lines are are less noticeable um, and there's the the flash and the microphones are relocated. So if you've got one of those silicone back cases for your your 12.9 inch iPad Pro and you move it to the new model and you try to shoot video, um, your microphone will be covered by the case. It's a very esoteric thing, but it'll fit. Otherwise, it's exactly the same. But the the new hardware, really, the the big hardware changes are in the 10.5 because the case got bigger, it kept the same weight, which is, I'm really pleased they did that, Uh, but it got a bigger screen. Now, what does this bigger screen practically bring to the table? So software doesn't take advantage of it in any real meaningful way. The, it, it, there isn't a... Uh, a the, the larger screen thing, that doesn't 
didn't pan out the way we hoped, as we've spoken about, right? Like the applications that you see on the screen, they're partway between iPhone and, and iPad. They kind of sit in the middle of there. They're, they're not the full iPad apps in portrait that you get on the 12.9 when you put them into split screen mode. What I guess the, one of the big things that, that is the reason they did this, I expect, is that it's a differentiator from what is now iPad, the 9.7 inch, because the only yep. one that they do. Um, I think surprisingly for Tim Cook's Apple, they do not sell the 9.7 inch iPad Pro. You, you can't buy it. Uh, so now if you go into an Apple store, you can look at three iPads on a table and you can see distinctly which one is which. There, isn't, there aren't two 9.7 inch iPads that look exactly the same. There is a 9.7, a 10.5, and a 12.9. You can stack them up and you can see how they're different. Um, I like the larger screen because it's a larger screen, right? Like, And I like the way the iPad looks. I like the thin bezels. I think it looks really great. Um, I did wish for more, but I'm happy with what I got as well. Because it doesn't feel bigger. It's bigger, but it never no. feels like it. No, it doesn't feel bigger. It doesn't feel heavier. Um, it still feels like that smaller iPad mm -hmm. for better and for worse. Right, as a twelve point yeah, nine yeah. inch fan, I look at it and I think, you know, it's the it's the nine point seven grown a little bit. It's not it's not like the twelve point nine packed into a smaller case, which was kind of what I was hoping for. But uh, it, it's fine. I'm I'm kind of resigned now to the fact that it's not for me. Like the twelve point nine is the one that I still like, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna switch to the the ten point five. It's just not, it's not gonna happen because I like the bigger screen. The bigger screen has a lot of a lot of value to me. I do wonder if de app developers of of uh pro leaning apps on the iPad may tweak their settings. Um I don't know the details of how this how this is actually set up in the OS with a 10.5, but I I do wonder if they might try to put some more information on screen when you're in a 10.5 split screen. Right now by default using the old sort of size classes for apps, the old the old breakpoints for how an app gets laid out. This is following the same rules as the 9.8, right? So 9.7. It's uh, it's sort of two phone app layouts when you've got it in side by side. And I wonder. I I don't know this, so developers can 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 tell us. But my understanding from a couple of years ago is that there are various sort of size families, and there are breakpoints, and it's a little bit like when I build a website and I've got uh, I've got breakpoints for different browser widths that the layouts change at certain breakpoints. I don't know if they can. I would assume they can target this particular size of a split screen 10.5. And um, it would be nice if they could because they could maybe put some more stuff on it. Um, but, you know, it's not that big a screen. So there's only so much stuff you can put on it. And you know, it's not as nice an experience to have split screen apps in the 10.5 screen as it is on the 12.9. That's just the bottom line. That's just how it is. But you get a much lighter, thinner, uh, smaller device in exchange. So you, you made reference to the cameras. The cameras are different. They now hold the uh, the current iPhone cameras, I believe. 12 megapixels on the back with support for 4K video and an LED flash. This is the first time a flash has been on an iPad. Um, and there is a 7 megapixel front-facing camera as well, but of course it brings with it a camera bump on the back because I guess there isn't enough space. Um, I I'm very happy to have Touch ID, the Vert's version 2 of Touch ID on my iPad now. That's that's brilliant. Sure. I'm very happy to have that because it's much faster and nicer. Um, 
And there is also the ability in, in the larger iPad now, two things that it didn't get before, uh, to have the Apple SIM. Apple SIM is great if you're using cell. Apple SIM is awesome because you can just choose from providers no matter where you are in the world. I love the Apple SIM on my iPad. Um, and you can, I didn't know this, you can uh, you can trigger a high telephone, which is the wake word for Apple's digital assistant. It's not actually <laughs> a high telephone. We just won't say what the real one is because it will set off everybody's devices. Uh, you can now do that when your uh, large iPad is not plugged in. I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, turns out. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that's a little odd thing that the 9.7 could do that when it was plugged in or when it was unplugged and the 12.9 uh, for whatever reason couldn't. So now it can. So like when we had the very great iPad mini, which I think was the iPad mini two, which was the iPad mini's high point. What made it so great was that Apple removed all of the reason that you would choose one iPad over another, except for the size, right? So the internals of both the regular iPad and the iPad mini were exactly the same as they are here with the 10.5 and the 12.9-inch iPad Pro. Everything is the same inside of them. The only differentiator now is which screen size do I want? Do you think this is a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's great. Love it. I think it's great. Confusion is not good. The other two models were obviously built separately on different tracks. It's very strange. Um, In fact, I think... The speculation at the time was that the 12.9 was built as an iPad Pro and the 9.7 was built as an iPad Air 3, basically. And at some point they decided, no, no, this is an iPad Pro 2. And they're not the same and it was really weird. And I always use the millionaire question, which is if a millionaire walks into an Apple store and says, give me your finest iPad, the answer is we don't know which one you want because they're both differently good. And now that millionaire walks into the Apple store and says, give me your finest iPad. And they say, which size? Because otherwise they are identical. And that's, I think that's great. So, but I guess this is hardware and, and the physical things, but the other difference is software, right? And, and so that is one of the other things that goes into this is that there is differences in software. And we're going to come back to that in a moment, actually. Uh, I did just want to say at this juncture before we take a break, that these iPads are just the best computers I've ever used. I love them so much. <laughs> I think they're fantastic. Uh, I'm so I'm so so happy, and I and I'm using ten on these. Um, I did put iOS eleven on both of them and had to restore both of them uh, <laughs> because they're <laughs> at different points over the space of thirty six hours. I got absolutely crippling um, home screen refreshes. Right, it was springboard crashes. And the iPads wouldn't come on anymore. They would not boot f- further than uh, the Apple logo. Uh, so don't That's put iOS 11 Beta 1 uh, on your devices right now, which is no. exactly what we were talking about last week. And uh, it's because I've had to, to restore both of these iPads, which is fine. Uh, I got to go through the restore thing. I share your enthusiasm about about these devices. Um but when yeah, when iOS eleven is on them and working oh. well, that's oh. that's the stuff. I'm that's so the, excited. That's when it's really I don't think I've ever been more excited for an iOS release. I'm just like, just give it to me now. Like I need it. Oh, I'm so excited. I was pretty excited about, about iOS nine just because adding multitasking at all was such a huge deal. But this is uh this is 
this is huge. Here's the difference, right? Then it was like, oh, this is exciting. What could it give us? But now we are like heavy iPad users, right? We yeah, it's already them. transformed us. And, exactly. and now they're giving us more things. Yep. So that's why I'm so excited for it. All right, let's take a Fair. break. Today's show is brought to you by FreshBooks. To all of the freelancers listening to our show right now, I've got a question for you. If you could reclaim up to 192 hours of your time a year, would you do it? Well, our friends at FreshBooks make cloud accounting software for freelancers. It's so ridiculously easy to use that they believe that you will get this time back. Because by simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people worldwide to do their stuff to deal with all the paperwork that comes with running your own business. FreshBooks automates late payment email reminders so you can spend less time chasing payments and more time working your magic. When you email a client an invoice, FreshBooks can also show you whether they've seen it, which puts an end to those endless guessing games. FreshBooks may now have over 10 million users, but they've managed to stay a pretty small company, landing them the title of Small Giant, on Forbes' list of best small companies this year. If you're listening to this and not yet using FreshBooks, now is the time to try it. They are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show. No credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com upgrade and enter upgrade in the how you heard about a section. I will say at this point, I am not surprised about that figure, the 192 hours a time of a year. I use FreshBooks nearly every day and I can totally see how that's possible because we save so much time using their fantastic system. So go to freshbooks.com slash upgrade and you can get a 30-day free trial. Try it out. Trust me. Well, our thanks to FreshBooks for their support of this show. I get lots of questions. We get lots of questions um, about what computers people should buy. But in the last couple of weeks, I have had an increasing amount of which iPad should <laughs> I buy. And I wanted to just spend a moment, Jason, giving a mini iPad buying guide for the Upgradians out there. I think this question comes down to one other question, right? So the question you give me, I give one question back to you, and this is what should answer it. And it is, what do you want to do with it? So these are what I believe the two iPads are suited for. 10.5 inch, so the new iPad, the newest new. I believe that the 10.5 inch is the iPad Pro that is best suited for consumption first. So if you want to be reading or browsing or watching stuff, I think this is maybe the best iPad all around for that with work attached, right? So it's like both of these iPads do both of these things, but there is a leading use case. And I think the leading use case for the 10.5 is for media and entertainment first with light work, like maybe writing in a text editor because the keyboard is bigger now, or maybe doing your email, maybe doing some spreadsheet stuff. But I don't think that it is the best-sized iPad for long periods of multitasking work because you don't get the full app sizes, right? So you don't get these full apps. So there are more compromises that you have to make. It's easier to travel with because it's smaller and lighter, but I don't think you would really want to be... If you're intending to start working all the time from your iPad... I don't think that this is the best one to move to for that, purely because you don't get the best of multitasking. So in the inverse, the 12.9, 
I think that this is the iPad that is suited best for working first. It has, you get the ability, so when we talk about these two apps, I'll say this again. When you go into multitasking mode on the 12.9 inch iPad and you have two apps side by side, what you see is effectively an iPad application in portrait mode. You get two of those side by side. So if you turned your iPad around, that's what the apps would look like. It's two iPad apps side by side. When you've got the iPad in landscape, you see two portrait apps side by side. It is also a huge canvas if you're illustrating or doing design work. And you also get basically full-sized keyboards, right? So you get full-size keyboards you can attach to it, maybe in cases or the smart keyboard, or you get a full-sized on-screen keyboard. Video looks great on it, right? Because it's a nice big display, but mm-hmm. it can be a little too large for un- like, and, and maybe a little bit unwieldy or heavy for browsing Twitter or watching video, right? Because if you're holding it or if you've got it on the couch, it's kind of a bit big. It's a bit big on airplanes. Like sometimes it doesn't really fit on the tray table very well because it's a big thing, right? It's like a 13-inch screen basically with this border yep. around it. It's a very big device. That also makes it heavy, especially when paired with a keyboard. You know, you put depending on the keyboard you put on this, you're in laptop weight, right? So it's also tougher to travel with. So my conclusion of this, and then I'll throw over to you, Jason, is that the 10.5 inch iPad, I think, is the replacement for your current iPad if you maybe want to step up what you're doing on your iPad. So if your current iPad, whatever you're doing on it, if you just want to take the next step. It's great for that because it's great for reading stuff. It's it's great for writing. It's great for do it, getting some work done like email. And it's great for browsing things like Twitter and Facebook and Reddit and that kind of stuff. It's a great iPad for that. The 12.9-inch iPad is if you want to buy an iPad to replace your laptop. That's the one that you want to get. If you want to replace everything you do on your laptop with an iPad, you should get the 129 because that's the one where you can get all your work done easily or easier than you can the 10.5. What do you think, Jason? I think that's not a bad breakdown. Um, it's it's funny because I was thinking this. It sounds a little bit to me like should you get the thirteen or the fifteen inch MacBook Pro, right? Like yeah. we could have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And and what what is the conversation at that point? One of them's a little more expensive and gives you a bigger screen. Which one? Which one do you want? Which one do you prefer? You want to save some money and also have the smaller screen, or do you really want that extra screen? Yes, there's some power, there's some you know processor differences there too, which this does not provide. But it's a similar argument, which is like, how are you going to use it? Do you how how much do you care about the added screen real estate? Because there is a cost in terms of weight and size to doing it. Um, I think. Yeah, in terms of getting work done on the 10.5, I mean, I think it also is about how much you work on it, uh, especially if you're traveling. The Look, you can be a dedicated road warrior with a 10.5-inch iPad Pro because you, you could be with a 9.7. You will, everything will be a little bit cramped. Mm-hmm. Um, the keyboard is a little bit smaller on the 9.7, right? But the 10.5, they've, they've made it that it, it, it fits within the definition of a full-sized keyboard. Plus the, the 10.5, um, at least in iOS 11, will get that cool swipey keyboard where you can access punctuation by swiping down on the keys. Sure, right, when you're using the software keyboard. And then mm-hmm. the smart keyboard uh, that, that you can get is the keys are a little bit bigger so they can call it a full-size keyboard. Uh, it turns out there is a definition for what a full-size keyboard is, and it's uh, it's a certain amount with a range of like a millimeter, and they're in the range. It's a little on the small side, but it's in the range 
of being called a full-size keyboard, which is I why they call say, it that now. I, I did notice immediately that the keyboard was bigger just by using it. Like, I could feel it. Yeah. I don't know if everyone can, but I, I really could feel it. Yeah, and they've been aggressive with all the edge keys being a little narrower, but it gets those main keys to be the the, the QWERTY keys are full-sized. So I, I guess what I'm saying is as an 11-inch MacBook Air user from way back, um, don't let anybody tell you that that device is too small to get work done. I've edited many, many podcasts in Logic mm-hmm. on an 11-inch Mac screen, right? And people would say, well, it's impossible. You just can't. It's like, well, I did. I don't think I would have wanted to edit video on it, right? <laughs> that would have been hard. But for podcasts, I could do it. So um, so what I'm saying is like the 10.5 can be used for all the same things that the 12.9 can. It's just going to be a little more cramped, which is why I think your advice is pretty practical. Like if, if you are prioritizing... Um, the like you said the consumption stuff and just sort of like some light work and not a lot of multitasking and then you know that sometimes you're going to be in a situation whether you're traveling or even when you're at home where you are going to need to do some multitasking and do some more heavy work it will do it it is entirely capable of doing it it might be a little cramped but you could totally do it and you what you get is that that lightness and the thinness out of it mm-hmm. but i do agree like for me um i I love the bigger screen. Um, I I do actually love it for reading Twitter and Slack and things like that. I love it for reading comics, although the 10.5 is much better at reading comics than the 9.7. It's still not as good as the 12.9. And so for me, I'd rather have all of that power there for when I when I need to do multitasking work and all of that. But I still 90% of the time I use it. I'm using it just as a as a in that sort of more consumption mode and i'm very happy with it so either of these can be either it ends up being about what you want to spend how much weight you want to carry and how much the extra pixels mean to you because they all do the same things it's just you know that for me i look at it and think i'm willing to spend the money to have that bigger screen and i don't mind that it's it's bulkier and heavier because it's just so nice and that's funny coming from somebody who used an 11 inch macbook air but that's where i am now well yeah i mean the 11 inch macbook air right like it it had a lot of convenience to it but the screen was smaller than than you know it could have been like if you look at like the 11 inch macbook air and the macbook right like the macbook screen is bigger and it's also smaller right it was just that was yes the screen size they could fit in a product of that size at the time i guess yeah i I agree like as i say like both of these things can do both of these both of these devices can do all of these things that i think there is just a a a way that they skew and i think one skews more towards work than the other i will say what we haven't thrown in here which it should if you plan to do absolutely no work on your ipad you should probably get the 329 dollar ipad like if all (laughs) you want to do is just read twitter and watch a movie like get that one i mean i will say that the screens are so good that if you have the money and the desire, maybe you should get the 10.5. But like, if that doesn't bother you, then you should get the regular one. Uh, and I agree. And I'll also say, sometimes I hear people, they get uh, confused about the smart cover and they think, oh, well, but what if I want to have a keyboard? It's like all Bluetooth keyboards work with iPads. So you can buy that, you can buy mm-hmm. that cheap, you know, five, fifth generation iPad and, a, and pair it with a Bluetooth keyboard and go to town. So... Uh, that's not enough of a reason. The, so I, I, I agree that Apple has done a good job of splitting this iPad line in two. And if all you're doing is um, 
is really light stuff and and uh, browsing Twitter and doing email and stuff like that, you don't even need the iPad Pro. Have you used any accessories with your iPads? A few. Um, I used the uh, Apple leather sleeve thing, which is interesting. It's yeah. nice. Yeah. It feels like I'm an art student. I think that's actually kind of what it's designed for. It's like you've got a, a naked iPad probably. It doesn't have to be. It can have a cover on it. But a naked iPad in this sleeve with a, with the Apple Pencil at the top, and you carry it around with you. And it's like, oh, I'm here. I'm ready for art class. That's how it sort of feels like yeah. to me. It's really nice. It is not cheap, but it is really nice. Nice mm-hmm. leather, nice stitching. It's a it's a beautiful, um, enormous in this case because it's for the 12.9 uh, sleeve. But it's nice. I will say super quick on that. It's an interesting tidbit. Uh, it's actually designed to hold the iPad with the smart keyboard attached to it. So that is not what I was told by Apple, and I asked specifically. What they told me was it is designed to not be used with the case, but it will fit with the case in it. However, your case will stretch a little bit, and over time it will create a little bit of a shape. Either will fit but my understanding is that if you mm-hmm. put it in with the thicker case, then over time, like as leather does, it will expand a little bit. It'll fit it just fine. And you may see a little bit of a stretch mark on it. So I will say having used, I've only seen and played with the one on the 10.5. If you don't have a case on it, it kind of flops about in there a little bit in a way that I'm uncomfortable with. So like, I, I think it's maybe nicer if you do have the keyboard on it because it, it has a bit of friction in there. Do what you have uh, to do. But your, your mileage may vary, I guess. Yeah, I, I've been I've been using it just completely... Uh, caseless and sliding it in the the little uh, thing and it 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 worked fine with me but it's not it's not a I'm not gonna be keeping it in there right like mm-hmm. I I I got a I got a smart cover and I got a new smart cover because one of the exciting things is they now make a leather smart cover for the 12.9 and it means there's finally an Apple accessory for the 12.9 that comes in colors that are not gray and white. So the leather smart cover is in brown or midnight blue or I think black. Um, and so uh, at last, the hegemony of <laughs> gray and white iPad 12.9 accessories from Apple has, has been broken. So that's, uh, that's nice. Yeah, I, I don't own any of the smart covers. I have an old 9.7 inch smart cover, which still works. I haven't tried it with a 10.5, but it still worked with my old with my previous iPad Pro, like yeah. I'm talking, well, it, it was fit. like a, an iPad. Would it not fit at all? Uh, well, you give it a try. It, it won't give it be a, a good experience, though. Because I, well, I mean, I only ever use it to prop the uh, iPad up on a plane. That's all I ever use it for. Because you have what? The, you have the smart. Well, I was using the smart Create case before, right? But I'm not doing that anymore. So actually, it's not an issue for me now because I've moved to the smart keyboard again. For the smart my one. primary use of my 12.9 has always been with a smart cover and then i will add right. a keyboard when i need it but i don't live with it in the that 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 would be a way to get me turned off on the 12.9 pretty fast if it was always in a bulky keyboard case right that's not what i want yeah i i am a smart keyboard person so i use the smart keyboard on my big one i always have and i'm going to use it on the 10.5 because logitech's case i hate yeah i I haven't tried it, but it, it's not a style that I particularly like. Um, I I'm it. really skeptical about it. 
I've tr- you, I have did one. you get one? Yeah, and I hate it. It's terrible. Yeah, I find it's it terrible. Uh, I haven't done a comprehensive review, but Serenity Caldwell has, and I'm going to put it in the show notes. And she didn't Good. like it either. I mean, I honestly, Jason, I'm I'm I, I'm going to return it. I haven't yet. I used it for 20 minutes, and I was like, I am not going to get on with this. Like, it's not everything I liked about the create is not in this one. Um, I really, really didn't like it at all. But again, I'll put a, a, a link to Ren's review because she does a, a better job of talking about the positives and negatives about it, but it's really not for me. Yeah, I uh, I really like the 9.7 Create, and I am I am disappointed me too. That, that Logitech didn't take what they learned from the 9.7 Create and use that in a 10.5 Create because I think it would be a really good product. And maybe they will do that down the I road who so. knows i hope so because um, what they've got right now is not the create at all so yeah yeah um so yeah ipads very excited about them i believe everybody should buy them so apple can keep <laughs> making them fair fair point good that's just uh send, let, let the word be known everybody go buy buy uh buy an ipad or go two. buy go buy Today's episode is also brought to you by Mac Weldon. They make the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you're ever going to wear. Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now, and they're so confident of this that they have a no-questions-asked return policy. They're so sure that you're going to be super comfortable in whatever you buy that if for any reason you don't like your first pair, just keep it and they'll refund you. No questions asked. By pairing premium fabrics, meticulous attention to detail, and a simple shopping experience, Mack Weldon delivers a new level of daily comfort straight to your door. They make undershirts that stay tucked, socks that stay up, and waistbands that don't roll. Everything they make is made of premium cotton, blended with natural fibers, and their website is built to help you get in and out as quickly as possible. They don't want to waste your time. The Mack Weldon stuff that I own, one of the things that I really like is that the quality is maintained over time. Like, I use and wash these things, and have done many times, and with stuff that I've had for a similar amount of time from other companies... I have not found that to be the case. So as a user of their products, someone who's had their stuff for a while, I am happy to say they 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 stand the test of time as well. Mack Weldon also have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. This is some cool science stuff. Mack Weldon's underwear, socks and shirts look good and perform well too. They're good for working out, going to work, traveling, or for everyday life. Listeners of this show can get 20% off at MacWeldon.com with the code UPGRADE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com with the code UPGRADE. Thank you so much to Mack Weldon for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, Jason Snell, it's time for some Ask Upgrade. All right, let's bring it. Chris asked, I'm a first-time True Tone user. Do you guys use Night Shift in addition to True Tone, or is True Tone enough for the night? I, I have not been using True Tone long enough to have an opinion about it. I Really? Um, I mean, oh, yeah, you didn't use the small one, right? Okay, so maybe 12. I should 9. be the one to answer this. Uh, yeah, I use them both because... I actually think that Night Shift and True Tone are a beautiful pairing. <laughs> like when there it starts go. to get late in the day, that True Tone screen looks even better because of Night Shift. So I recommend uh, having that turned on. Uh, I love Night Shift personally. I think it's a great feature. Yeah, one of the challenges with Night Shift and True Tone, if you, if you just use True Tone, is um, 
it works if it's the evening and you've got the lighting in your room because it's going to make everything match the lighting and that that's just that's enough but if it's dark <laughs> um true tone won't help you like it won't it won't help you because there's no light in the room other than your screen light and that's mm-hmm. why night shift is extra valuable because then it's going to push things into that into that uh gentler yellowy orange tone even when there's no light in the room for the true tone sensor to find. Michael wants to know, if I'm embracing the multi-pad lifestyle, do you recommend getting both with cellular or just one? So the multi-pad lifestyle is the life that that I lead, which is to have multiple iPads that I use for different purposes. Um, In my experience, the way that I embrace it is that I use the big iPad at home and I use the small iPad when I'm out of the home. So I just have cellular on the iPad when I'm out of the home. That makes the most sense for me. Um, I'm going to be traveling this year differently, and I'm, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this yet, in that I'm going to be away from the UK for a month in August. So I'm thinking I'm probably just going to take the 10.5 and deal with the crampness because I only have cellular on that one. And I do like on my iPad the ability to, to not have to worry about... Um, tethering and things like that like if you can get if you can get cell go for it but i do recommend just work out what you want to use your ipads for and then decide if you want to get cellular on on one or both joshua asked i'm looking to upgrade from an early 2010 imac and 2011 macbook pro to a single machine what should i do i think in that in this example you should probably buy a macbook pro and an external display so you get the best of both what do you think jason Yep, I think that's the I think that's the right answer. Yeah, is get a get a MacBook Pro, and uh, if you need that large screen, then buy a buy an external display. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Tom asks, any advice on cases to increase grip on a slippery iPhone six? Um, so, I mean, I can't speak to every case. I mean, I I really have uh, just been a user of Apple's cases for a long time. And I use the silicone cases, which I find add a sufficient level of grip, um, the, the silicone cases that Apple make. I use the Leva case on the iPhone 6 and 6S and, from Apple and uh, loved it. But I was happy to get rid of it when I when I went to the seven ah, with the jet black. Jet black. And, yeah, okay. And because now I've got the, I can I can touch the edges of mm-hmm. the phone again. Yeah. Uh, Gane asked, does iOS 11 on iPad have keyboard shortcuts related to multitasking, or is it still touch only? Jason, I don't understand this question. Okay, because command tab has always been a keyboard shortcut related to app switching i guess so if you if you mean very specifically like can you pick a can you pick an app and put it into a place uh with keyboard shortcuts no you can't you can't do that i i was trying to imagine this it's like mission control on the mac doesn't have keyboard shortcuts either right mm, um no uh, so I, I could imagine having a system-wide keyboard shortcut to like show and hide the slide over window. I think that would be kind of fun. But there is a um, slide over window on 11, right? It makes sense on 10. This sure question. there is. Sure there's a slide over window. Oh, I mean, sorry, slide I over is mean. still there. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I didn't, I know what it, you're talking about. I, I was thinking of the app switcher. Slide over is when the little app peeks in from the side. Yeah, Right, so I could imagine doing a, a keyboard shortcut and having slide over pop over, and then and then dismissing it and all of that. But in terms of like, I would like 
uh, keyboard shortcut to go into um, the uh, to go into the multitasking view, for example. I think that would be useful. Um, there are some things they could do, but a lot of it's not practical. Uh, Phil is asking, I have upgraded an Air, from an Air 2 to a 10.5-inch iPad Pro. The Pro attracts more fingerprints and it's harder to clean. Do you find this to be the case? Yes. <laughs> so uh, the iPad Pro's screens, the coating on them is different because of the pencil. And one of whatever the coating is, whatever it is that they did to it, one of the downsides is that the Pro line attracts significantly more fingerprints to the screen. You, you find that to be the case as well? Uh, I can't compare. I I haven't used a non-pro for so long that I can't I can't say. But there's there's um. Uh, I don't know. I, like I said, in bright sunlight, there's a lot of the, there's a lot of fingerprints that are visible. Um, yeah. but I I can't compare it, so I can't tell you. From my memory of when I changed initially, I can I can say that this is the case. Th- those especially the I mean the bigger the bigger the screen, the more you're going to see as well because there's more there. But uh, I do find that to be the case. And finally today, John asks, do you have any suggestions for bags for the iPad Pro 12.9 inch? Jason, do you have any bag other than your trusty backpack that you love? I don't have a specialty bag for the iPad because I don't, I, I, I don't live my life in a way that I'm just carrying an iPad around. I have lots of other bags that I use. I have a, I have a, a shoulder bag, a messenger bag that I use sometimes, um, and I've got my trusty backpack. So yeah, that's I have no I have no opinions about bags either. So take us home, Mike. So I have two. Uh, the Tom Bin Restretto is a great shoulder bag, like messenger bag, um, that will fit a twelve point nine inch iPad. That they have uh, the laptop compartment fits laptops or tablets up to thirteen inches. It's a great bag, and I own one, and I really like it. And then I will also throw in uh, my co-host and the pen addict, Brad Dowdy. He has a company called Notco. And they recently made a briefcase like made of a nylon material called the Lanier, um, which will fit an iPad Pro and is great if all you wanted to do is just carry it in your hand. Um, you can also fit a bunch of other stuff in there as well. It's And it comes with a little small bag too. But it doesn't have any straps or anything. It's computer like to carry around. So when I go to like a conference or something like that, um, I'll put everything in my rucksack and I'll put everything in my suitcase and I put the lanier in there as well. So when I'm going backwards and forwards from my hotel room during the day, I'll just be carrying my iPad in the kind of the briefcase. And it works really well for me. So they are my suggestions there. Wow, that is ask People Mike. wanted answers from me today, Jason. They, they, they did. wanted all the answers from me. Like, I can't help you. I'm glad that you were here because those would not have been questions that I would have picked mm-hmm. if I was the one who had to answer them. What can I say? I, I have some wisdom to give. It's not a lot. You do. But I have some. Yeah, I don't know. You proved that. You proved that you have a lot to give uh, today with all of that. Uh, this is your iPad. iPad is on the brain. This is one of your favorite subjects. So, And it's coming out. Yep. It's showing itself. I do love my iPad. Uh, if you would like to suggest some questions for Ask Upgrades, maybe some specific things that only Jason can answer, uh, no, you can use the, the hashtag AskUpgrade on Twitter. Um, if you'd like to find our show notes, you can go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 146. And I would like to thank Encapsula, FreshBooks, and Mac Weldon for supporting the show. Most of all, thank you for listening. As always, you can find Jason online at sixcolors.com and theincomparable.com. Jason hosts a selection of shows at Relay FM as well including the fantastic download which you should be listening to if you're not already jason yes. is at jsnell on twitter j-s-n-e 
double L, and I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Keep cool, everybody. Hydrate. <laughs>